Welcome to Post Doom, regenerative conversations exploring overshoot grief, grounding, and gratitude. I'm Michael Dowd, your host. And in this conversation recorded in April of 2020, I speak with someone who's had a lot more experience than me in interviewing and having conversations on collapse-related themes, Sam Mitchell. Go to Sam's YouTube channel, The Collapse Chronicles, and just click on videos and just scan down and see. He's been at this for a long time. He's interviewed virtually all the major players in the collapse-related field. He's quite a character, and we had a lot of fun. What language do you use? I'm curious. Uh, this is sort of the first question I've been asking most folks. What, what language, you know, how do you relate to any of that stuff? But also, what language do you find yourself using in terms of contracting, collapsing, you know, scary times? Well, obviously, my, uh, the, my closer of, of most of my videos uh, is get out there and enjoy it while you still can. And this yes. is over and over. I have interviewed now over 100 people down here in this rabbit hole. And, and if I had, the, if you put a bell curve on it, uh, you know, in the last 60 seconds, I basically, I, I asked the same question when I close out an interview, you know, give us your 60 second message right. to mankind. Uh, and that is, it, it's some form of that. It is some form of that is get out there and enjoy it while you still can. Yeah. Uh, you know, built into that, you know, is, is, the, is the definition of, of enjoyment or joy which is the middle of that word. And, and then of course, the while you still can, which is implied because this, as we found out three weeks ago, th this whole house of cards, it can come down quicker than, than we ever thought. It's gonna be exactly. uglier than we thought and it's gonna be faster exactly. uh, than we thought. And, and I've got to add a third one from the last three weeks, uh, it, it, it's going, it, it's not going to, it doesn't need to be something as catastrophic as some of the quote dooms, doomsday prophets out there have been talking about that it, that the trigger, what, what, what has totally spun my head around here, Mike, is, is, is how small the trigger was, and, and I'm already getting myself in trouble that people are not going to hear me when I say how small the trigger is relative to, to the stuff that me and the people I interview talk about. You know, we're talking about some, some gnarly stuff. Yes, exactly. You, you know, and so we were, I guess because I, you know, we're all on this little doomer island down here that we, we, we literally insulate ourselves with, with other doomers. And what, what I am so shocked is how, what, what we would, all right, I can't speak for other people, I mean, what I would consider a fairly small trigger, what it fired off uh, on, on this planet. And it just tells me, good Lord, what's it gonna look like when the real cannon it goes off. Uh, yeah. I, I am in no way, shape, or form denying that the coronavirus isn't going to kill a bunch of people. I've never said that in my entire life. I have never denied 
that uh, this pandemic is going to kill a bunch of people compared to what I've been talking about and talk about every week with my guests and read every single day. Uh, you know, it's so far yeah. beyond this. And, and we're talking, we've been talking about when something bigger than this happens, how long is it going to take for the global industrial economy to unravel after the cannon shot uh, fires off? Well, we've answered that question, brother. <laughs> we've answered it. It's going to be overnight. Yes, exactly. Overnight. Yeah. So that that's my uh that's my takeaway and, and this whole thing get out there and enjoy it while you still can i don't know if i can even put the second half of that uh, sentence on there anymore it it, it, it it's going to be tougher every single day it's going to be a hell of a lot tougher for us to get out there and enjoy it while we still can if you want if, if, if your definition of enjoyment is, is as mine is is getting together with people I love and playing acoustic music. That is my number one joy in life, getting together with people that I love, playing acoustic music, uh, you know, under the stars, around the fire. Mm -hmm. That has been taken away right. uh, from me. So the, the, in, in the enjoyment yeah. uh, is uh, the, the, just the toll this is going to take. Uh, people are way underestimating, I think, the, the, the toll on, on so many levels. And we're just going to watch it uh, unfold. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm convinced, and I've not said this publicly, so <laughs> I, I, we may edit this out if Connie doesn't like it. But <laughs> I'm convinced, and Connie's convinced as well, that, that our dysfunctional relationship to mortality and death <laughs> um, is is really at the center of this because amen brother amen yeah it's just uh, i'm 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 grateful that one of my conversants uh, or conversational partners in this series was Stephen Jenkinson because i really respect him and where he's coming from but i i tell you we are we are so um yeah we have no way of appreciating uh endings and 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 death and mortality and the rightness of it the sacredness to use religious language of mortality and death and impermanence and with you know this idea of keeping people alive it's like how many how many if, if given the choice connie came up with this thing called covid legacy pledge where she's made a pledge she's only 67 but she's basically said um that uh if she gets covid she doesn't want to clog up the system and take away uh, ventilators and ICU beds from people who, younger people who would need it. Yeah. And she's just going to ride it out. And if she dies, she dies. Share your story because it seems to me that especially now in a coronavirus era, I used to say that every season another few million people are ready for this conversation and that, were, you know, that weren't ready last season. Now with coronavirus, it's almost like every week there's probably a few million more people ready for this kind of conversation than were ready last week. I, I, I've noticed quite a bit the, the, the exact opposite of that. Oh, really? Say more. This, this is one of, the, one of the things that I find truly shocking over this is that the folks down here in the, quote, doomosphere how they have, it seems to me like, brother, they've pulled back from this conversation. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, they, it's this. It's just one more conversation that maybe more people that I thought weren't taking it as seriously as maybe you and I are, and how they have just uh, just. Well, and, and, and it's not just way down in, in, in this deep hole, but I, I mean, all of the uh, environmental and e ecological news, how it has been, it, it has not just been pushed aside, it has been completely eradicated off of, uh, off of the, it, it, uh, certainly off the mainstream media. Yes, yes, and, that, uh, that for sure. It's, uh, but so anyway, uh, I, it, it, I'm sure what you're saying, uh, I, I agree with you that there's probably been some sort of, of crossover here, but it's not to exactly where you and I are. Yeah. It's all about humans. Yeah. yeah conversation yeah. is all about humans. Poor, poor, pitiful me, and I'm certainly uh, playing that card. Uh, poor, poor, pitiful me. I'm going. You know, my life has just been completely screwed by this. But the conversation uh, that is just more people screaming, "Poor, poor, pitiful me." Poor, poor, pitiful humans. I find less of a conversation down here. Uh, you know, about the conversation that we're having, which is the single biggest story in the history of humanity has been it, it, it never was on the table but now brother trying trying to get people's attention about these the single biggest event in human history let, let me tell you where coronavirus places on the single biggest event in human history you know what i'm saying it's not it, it's yeah. not it's not in the top 10,000, you know, I mean, I've said this, you know, till I'm blue in the face. I don't know whether people think I'm joking. What I am talking about and you're talking about and, uh, and, and people down here, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, Mike, you take every, you, you take in the entire history of humanity, you, you take the invention of fire. You take every single war we have ever, ha ever had, every single pandemic, the Black Plague, the Spanish flu, you add them all up, man. Uh, you throw in uh, the Industrial Revolution. You throw in the invention of fossil fuels. You put it all together, and it does not equal the story that, that is unfolding on this and it has been unfolding in real time every day for the past 50 years. And nobody seems to care if they, if you point it out to them, they, uh, they, they're, they're either, they're unaware of it, that this is the single biggest uh, event in human history with no second place behind it. They're, they're unaware, or if you try to make them aware of it, they just don't want to hear it. They, 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 they're just not interested in this, and they think you're a wacko. Well, Rob Makarski's got his fabulous denial, undenial website, and it's, he, he, he beats that drum really well, and, and well he should, that denial is very deeply rooted uh, in our species. And um, you know, he and I have a differing opinion in terms of where that comes from, but nonetheless, it's clearly the case. <laughs> 
Well, if there was any question uh, of that till, uh, three weeks ago, I mean, I mean uh, there wasn't any question. Yes. Uh, but if anybody uh, down here was still had that lingering question, I think we've answered that one. We can we can check that one off. Yeah. Well, when you say uh, when you say down here, I'm assuming you're not meaning just Texas or Austin. You're probably no, you're, I mean, uh, down here in the in the Dumasphere. In the Dumasphere, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, the people yeah. who get. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, back to sort of the question about your story, like how share share a little bit about your trajectory, how, you know, your worldview uh, growing up and then how it shifted and, you know, how you got to where you are now. Well, I'm just a, an upper middle class suburban white boy grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was always interested in uh, environmental issues. I, I always considered myself, called myself an environmentalist. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I got my degree in journalism with the intention of becoming a, an environmental journalist. My, my dream job was to be a roving field editor for Audubon magazine. For, oh, wow. and, and this is what I, I planned to do. And uh, so I, I, I got out of college in, uh, in 1983, got married, moved to, from Atlanta to, uh, to Santa Cruz, California. And so I was a freelancer. I was a freelance journalist. Uh, and I, I was the news editor of the weekly newspaper in Santa Cruz, and and I was uh, freelancing for other publications. That's what I did during my twenties, and I was actually, you know, I, I was very prolific. I mean, I, I had hundreds, probably thousands, of uh, of pieces published in my twenties. Yeah. And then for just just, uh, because it's, I guess, just because the universe has such an ironic, sick, twisted sense of humor, here I was, this radical, progressive, social justice warrior, environmentalist, uh, you know, lefty progressive in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, you know, which is the lefty capital of the world, the Socialist <laughs> Republic of Santa Cruz. I was right there in the thick of it. Uh, and then at age 30, I went from that to selling real estate for Century 21 real estate. And let me tell you what, uh, how that shook up my friends. Yeah, please. And so, yeah, so from... Uh, starting in 1987 until 2008, uh, I was, how I made my money and I was very successful at it. Uh, I, I, I sold real estate, you know, as an agent, but I was mainly a uh, real estate investor. I flipped houses is what I did. Sure. Uh, I flipped houses that through all this, I, I would work for several years. I would pile up a big pile of money and then I would go slack for a couple, you know, live off man until the money ran down. Then I would go back and get up a big pile of money. Uh, so I, this is what I did for, well, from 87 for, for 21 years, for 21 years, my, my main 
thing that I did was, was real estate sales and real estate investment. Now, I always uh, considered myself an environmentalist, which is absolutely absurd, completely absurd. I actually, you know, I had my work car, my nice work car, then I had my pickup truck, and the two bumper stickers on my pickup truck were one on one side was save the planet, kill yourself, and on the other side of my bumper was dirt worshiping tree hugger. I remember pulling up in the Keller Williams lot because my regular car was in the shop, and I pulled up in this truck, and I'm stepping out of the truck, and, and one of my superiors saw me getting out of that. It's amazing. They told me to like, like what the, you know, get that truck out of here. I told them that, uh, that my car is in the shop and I borrowed it from one of my, from one of my crazy friends. But the thing about it, Mike, I, I wasn't, I actually considered myself yeah. a dirt worshiping tree hugger yeah. when I was a real estate investor, when I, when I finally got out of the business in 2008 and I did not leave the business because of the downturn in the market. I, I did not have a very successful year in the year 2008. Uh, I, I was hardly paying any attention to it. Mm. So when I, but when I finished and I, and I sold everything except this house that I'm living in, which I wish I had sold in 2008 now, uh, I had a $22,000, uh, my Home Depot credit card, just my Home Depot credit card was $22,000. I was paying $250 a month just to keep the interest without touching the principal. $250 a month just to keep the, you know, the, the, the minimal cap on one big box uh, credit card. So anyway, what happened in 2000, well, actually, it was the end of 2007, I encountered this fellow named Terrence McKenna. Oh, yeah. Uh, I already, even during my real estate career, I, I took a year off to take care of my mother when she was dying of cancer, and I ended up getting into Carlos Castaneda. Oh, yeah. So I actually read every one of the Carlos Castaneda books. I have to. Yeah, the entire series, cover to cover, three times, and I do recommend, uh, as, as flawed as Castaneda is, I still recommend you reading those books. Uh, so I had a little flurry with that, then I just got back into the real estate business. But in the end of 2007, I came upon the works of Terrence McKenna, mm -hmm. and my life has never been the same. Uh, anybody not familiar with Terrence McKenna, surely you're familiar with, with Terrence. He was, you know, he was Michael Rupert's biggest influence. Uh, and, and Terrence McKenna is, is the one who, uh, I, I got to remember who's talking here, uh, who, who, who changed my worldview. He, he convinced me to, to, uh, to, try some psychedelics, some plant-based psychedelics. For the record, I have never in my entire life to this minute, I have never done a hit of acid in my entire life. I've never done a line of cocaine since the day I was born. I'm 60 years old, never done acid, never done cocaine, never done 
MDMA, is that the same stuff as ecstasy? Uh-huh, yeah. So, but, but Terrence uh, got me, you know, even, even the Carlos Castaneda years, I, I never had a, 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 I never had marijuana in my mouth till I was 42 years old. I've never smoked a cigarette since the day I was born. I was a goody, goody two-shoes. <laughs> but Terrence McKenna, he convinced me to, uh, to, to do the psychedelics. So what I did in the spring of 2008, while I was in the middle of a very successful real estate career, even in the year 2008, you know, I was living in a beautiful home, had all of these rentals, uh, just, I mean, living the life of Riley. I think in 2007, I think the last time I paid taxes was $113,000, I, I think it was 2007. And then in 2008, I took Terrence McKenna's advice. So what I did was three months in a row on the full moon. It was uh, April, May, and June that I did on uh, the full moon. Uh, I did ayahuasca mm -hmm. one month. I did uh, magic mushrooms, five grams, mm -hmm. uh, which is what Terrence called a heroic dose. So I did a heroic dose of mushrooms. And then I did San Pedro cactus, which is, it, it's not just similar to peyote. It is peyote. It's mescaline. Okay. That's what yeah. it is. It's yeah. in a different form. It's not quite as concentrated. I've never done peyote, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's, it, it's a more friendly form of peyote. So I did those three, the ayahuasca is DMT. Uh, the natural form. I've never done, you know, the laboratory DMT. It's 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 Mother Nature's DMT. Yeah, yeah. And then of course the mushrooms are psilocybin. Right. So I did those three uh, while I was conducting a successful real estate career for uh, for Keller Williams Real Estate. And let me tell you the cognitive dissonance that put me in. So between Terrence and the, the mushroom God, the ayahuasca God and uh, the uh, San Pedro God, uh, it, it, I, I was just told of the error of my ways. Yes. yes. And just, you know, saying, okay, Sam, this was, uh, I was 49. I was just getting ready to hit the, uh, the, the half century mark and it completely turned my life upside down. I mean, it, 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 it uh, so I don't know whether I want to kick Terrence McKenna's ass or, uh, that man has completely destroyed my life on so many levels, but by anybody's, I, I would say Mike, that 96% of this planet would have traded lives with me in March of 2008, I, I was living the absolute, just the life that so many people, especially so many men, uh, would trade for. I had money, I had women, I had a, a beautiful home in Austin, Texas on the green belt. I was smoking the top shelf weed. I was drinking the top shelf tequila. I was having parties. 
Uh, I, I mean, uh, it, it sounds like hell to me, but that's just, I'm in that three, uh, it, it three was, or 4%. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyway, that all came crashing through the ground. So I sold my, uh, I, I, it took me about six months just to, un, you, just, you can't just walk away. Yeah, exactly. from, you know, you've got clients and contracts. Exactly. Right? So it took me about eight months to disentangle. But I quit my $100,000 a year job. I sold my beautiful four-bedroom, three-bath house with the two-car garage that was so full of stuff. I couldn't fit either one of my cars into it. Got rid of all of that crap. I had five other. I sold four of my five rentals. Now, this little house that I'm living in now was paid for. I didn't have a mortgage paying out on it. So I kept it just for a little bit of rental income. Yeah. And what I did, the last thing I did, and thank God, brother, for this, the very last thing I did is I paid off all of my mortgages, my $22,000 uh, Home Depot credit card. I put $5,000 in the bank and I took the rest of my money that was left over, which was about $25,000, and I put it into physical silver. I bought physical uh, silver with it yeah. and uh, went and, and put it in an old sewer pipe and went out in a swamp and buried it for today, for the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. For, and, and, and this is what is saving my ass right wow. now. It, wow. is the, it was the single best decision I wow. ever made buying that physical silver for something exactly like this wow and uh, i'm digging it up on may i've already found buyers that's already been sold uh, so i am going out uh with a shovel and, and, and hoping i can find my buried treasure <laughs> that i bought to survive the collapse of the global industrial economy and that's yeah. uh and, and so for the past 10 years i have devoted my life to uh you know, just studying this. What is, you know, what is going on on this planet? And uh, do I have any education? I have 10 years of dedicating my life to studying this, but, but I don't have an, I, I did not do a, uh, I need to be real careful here. Uh, I, I did not do a, a PhD dissertation on desert bighorn uh, range management. <clears throat> so I cannot claim that I have a college degree. I have a college degree in journalism. Uh, I have spent 10 years of my life studying, uh, talking to hundreds of people, reading hundreds of books, uh, you, you know, dedicating my entire life to figuring out what is going on on this planet. And what's going on on this planet, as I've said, is the single biggest story in the history of humanity, and nobody wants to hear it. Which wow, is I am on Collapse Chronicles. For the yes, right, exactly. Well, I'm so grateful that you shared all that and the way that you did it, because one of the things that I feel such a resonance with you on is that my education, hell, my education was in religion and philosophy and ministry. And I, you know, pastored three churches over the course of a decade. And, you know, even though I'm a, a religious naturalist, nonetheless, and have no supernatural or otherworldly beliefs, my, my world has been religion and philosophy largely. Yeah. And then, and then I got turned on in 1988 to Thomas Berry and the universe story and 
sort of this epic of evolution, what also sometimes gets called big history, but largely interpreted most of that in a pretty human-centered way for a long time. And then in December, December 3rd of 2012, I, I watched David Roberts' TED Talk, Climate Change is Simple, and it rocked my world totally. That afternoon, I bought like three or four books on climate, uh, Jim Hansen's uh, uh, Storms of My Grandchildren, Bill McKibben's Earth, uh, 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 Paul Gilding's The Great Disruption, Al Gore's The Future, I forget some others. And basically, I, I got the urgency of climate change and then became a climate activist and was very actively involved in that for a few years. And then I got William Catton's book, Overshoot. And it's and like- there it was, that's the not that one, yeah. Oh my God. And so then once I got Overshoot and then started really understanding and then abrupt climate change, um, then, then I, I really, John Michael Greer, I think I've read 15 of his books, you know, I mean, the rise and fall of civilization and how civilizations collapse and all. And so I'm not, I don't have a degree. I don't have a PhD in that. I'm a self-taught independent yeah. scholars, basically some as you just Nothing reading a lot of books and having a lot of conversations with people. Yeah. So anyway, I, 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 I honor and appreciate your dedication. Well, first of all, to turn your back on such a quote unquote successful career and stuff um, because life, the universe, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, just life. Let's just go with that life through these, these plant medicines. Um, and you see the error of your ways, but also that you took on studying and having conversations with amazing people. Uh, as I said at the, at the start of this, um, I consider you like the, the, the most significant older brother on this collapse path, especially in terms of your independent research, but also your conversations with people around this stuff. We touched on it a little bit before, and I really want to lean in a little bit further with you into sort of how do you see impermanence, mortality, death, not just related to COVID, COVID-19, but really um, how does your holding of impermanence and death nourish you, feed you, inform your worldview, sort of anything you want to say on sort of impermanence and death? Yeah, well, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was my, my, Carlos Castaneda years, you know, he talks, you know, Don Juan, you know, about using death as your advisor. Yes. And, uh, but he's now he was talking about, you know, personal death. I, I've kind of expanded that as I use the death of this planet as my advisor. Yes. Uh, and and when, you, when you use the death of the living planet as your advisor, uh, you, you know, everything, all your little teeny weeny personal problems like not being able to sell a house uh, during the collapse of global industrial economy, uh, it, it's there, 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 there's nothing to compare to, to, to what's unfolding in front of our eyes, brother. It, it, it's it's it, 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 it's it's a horror. It is a it, it is a it, it is a level of horror. You know that. You know, Conrad barely scratched the surface of. I, I mean, truly, it, it's it, it, you know, it's the heart of darkness, and how and and, and how do you rise above that? And uh, and it gets down 
to as uh, as we were touching on earlier, you, you know, I mean, the question that every one of us needs to answer as we come into this information and and accept it uh, and get past the denial and stuff. I, you, we need to figure out what is important to us and, and how we are going to comport ourselves and how we deal with, well, to, to live with ourselves, with our fellow humans, with our fellow earthlings. What is it going to look like? And, uh, and, and this is, the, this is the, the, the personal question that each and every one of us is ultimately going to have to figure out for ourselves. Sure. But what I try to do with the things I share with my audience and and interviewing people is help people navigate that right. whether i'm helping or hurting uh i i don't know well say a little bit more about your i mean your collapse chronicles uh i want to hear out of your mouth what you uh, you know your experience in that what's been most fulfilling uh and and you know uh, what it offers the world because i i one of the things i want out of as a result of this conversation is that people who haven't yet experienced you uh in that context um, to go over and start watching your videos and, uh, and listening to your stuff. So say, say anything you want about Collapse Chronicles. Well, obviously what I'm doing is chronicling the collapse uh, of global industrial civilization and more importantly, the collapse of the living planet. Uh, simply because I think it's an interesting subject. I, I, I think uh, I'm just one of these weird people, Mike, that I think the single biggest story in humanity uh, is just interesting. I, I find it a pretty interesting subject that humanity, that we could be extinct as a species, that uh, we are in the middle, we are witnessing the sixth mass extinction unfolding in front of us for, for the sixth time in, in our planet's, what, four and a half billion year history, we, our, the people alive on this planet today, we're the lucky ones. Humans have never been able to witness a mass extinction uh, uh, before. This is the first, and it's going to be the, it's not going to be the last of mass extinction, okay? There will be more. There will be a seventh and an eighth, and I don't know how many before the whole thing, you know, goes uh, brown dwarf or whatever it is to where we're heading eventually. But you know what I mean. We're, we get to witness uh, you know, these, these things only come around once every 60 million years. I think it's pretty interesting to be talking about it, but it's unbelievable, brother, how many people yeah. do not want to talk about uh, an, an event that comes around every 65 million years or so. I, I, I don't get it. I, I'm floored by this is not. Uh, they, they, why isn't this every single day? And the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, you know what I'm saying. My sense is that it's because of human nature, both individually, but also how humans tend to think and feel and act and don't act uh, and don't think and don't feel in groups. Uh, and when, you know, so one of the things that I've spent a fair bit of time uh, over the last 15 years, 20 years, Connie and I have been doing this traveling, you know, speaking in churches and colleges and universities and stuff for 18 years. And for about nine years, uh, human nature, uh, our evolutionary psychology, evolutionary brain science was a huge piece of what we spoke yeah. about and learned and studied. 
Um, in fact, we created a course that's now all the stuff's available up on our great story website, just called Evolutionize Your Life. So I think, I think that it doesn't surprise me that nobody wants to talk about this. They want to stay in denial. They're, they're not fascinated like you and I are by this. And I have to be careful. I just got slammed. Uh, I did an interview with this guy, Bart Campolo, who has an interview. Uh, his father was a very famous, Tony Campolo was a very famous uh, evangelical preacher, uh, sort of radical evangelical, liberal politics, but relatively conservative yeah. theology. And then his son, uh, uh, Bart, came out as an atheist and sort of had been a very public humanist. And, you know, he was a humanist chaplain at, at uh, Southern California and at any rate, he's got this podcast called Humanize Me, and he called me because he knows that I'm into collapse stuff, and he wanted to talk about coronavirus and sort of all this kind of stuff. And I had we had a wonderful conversation, but his son became livid, and his and so he just broadcast yesterday uh -huh. his son's scathing, blistering attack on me and on him. Uh, for the lightness, for the levity that, you know, not really taking, I mean, if we really believe all this collapse shit, how can we be so playful yeah. and light about it? Yeah. And I took it to heart. I mean, it was a really blistering critique, but there was so much of it that was like, wow, he's right in a lot of things. And I, I don't think my tone of voice is going to be quite the same in interviews uh, in the future. Thanks to his, like, just telling it like it is and just blowing, uh, hey, blowing uh, me out of the water. Uh, obviously, this is uh, this is a, 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 I talk about this a lot with my guests. You know, I, I interviewed a cartoonist, Ted Rawl. Uh, I mean, he's a cartoonist, and he's one of the. Have you interviewed Ted yet? No, no. Uh, and I, you should call up Ted uh, and, and talk to this guy because his whole life is quote humor. He is one of the darkest. Uh, I mean, he is he is dark, uh, but but his whole life is humor, and it's uh, yeah. it's it's it, it, you know it's basically got I mean it, my sick twisted dark sense of humor, which gets me in so much trouble with so many people. Uh, it, it's I guess it's just an ego defense mechanism. It, well, it, yeah, but it, it's also it's, it's also essential for survival, in my opinion. Having some sense of gallows humor, dark humor. Oh God, you is, yeah, I mean, it, uh, but I can also understand why those of us in the collapse world, the doomosphere, as you say, um, can really appreciate that and need it. Um, but I can also understand why that would be irritating to somebody who still thinks that, you know, this is a downturn, yeah. but we're, we're going to get back on the yeah. perpetual yeah. progress bandwagon. No, a lot of people don't uh, obviously think our the collapse gallows humor is, is, uh, is just completely just off the table, yeah. but you yeah. have to, you have to have it. The, you know, I, I've said many times the reason that I think Michael Rupert, you know, it's going to be his anniversary uh, yes. day after tomorrow, wow. six years that he did that. I think it was because he lost his sense of humor. He lost his, if you listen to, uh, to, to Michael uh, towards the end there, there was less and less. Uh, when he came out with that, that thing, the three guarantors of, of human extinction in December, killed himself in April, yeah. uh, you know, he said, if you're not talking about this subject, I, I have nothing to say to you anymore. 
Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? It's it just it, it and I and if you saw that, I guess they in in November Apocalypse, comma man, that was an interview with a dead man. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And uh, I think that uh, that Michael Rupert lost his sense of humor, and that's why he put a bullet through his head. And 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 I think the the only reason that a lot of us down here in this rabbit hole are still alive and haven't is because of, of, of humor. That's a fascinating hypothesis. I think you're right. Intuitively, I, it just seems like, because Connie and I, you know, we've been studying all the same stuff that you have. And, and I mean, I've recorded probably a thousand or maybe 1500 hours of all these amazing yeah. books and essays and what have you. Um, but we regularly keep a playful, joyful heart that nourishes us yeah. and allows us to not like you know stay in, in massive depression or whatever even though these are very difficult topics you know well i, I don't know what the public perception of doomers are i, I think what they when they think of doomers I, what, what do they picture, Mike? Do they do, do they picture uh, people like walking around in mourning cloaks, with, you know, carrying the you know the scythe and the, I don't know what the public perception of us is. Uh, I, yeah, that's a, it's a good question, and I don't have a good answer. I, I I honestly don't know. I would guess that it's partly because uh, Connie uses her arm. And she has, you know, most people have a view that, you know, with the arm going up, that things are, yeah, there's downturns or whatever, but, you know, we were, you know, a, this idea of perpetual progress or that humans are an inventive species and, you know, will adapt and technology and, the, you know, all that kind of shit. And, but the reality, as you and I know, is that things are down. And, and if you're up here on the shoulder and you've got some, and you're an activist, you still believe that if enough of us get to do the right thing, vote the right people, you know, get the billionaires to invest billions of dollars, you know, whatever it is. So Connie uses that arm analogy because yeah. it, it just helps her have compassion for people who are up here and who resent the quote unquote yeah. doomers because they think that they're going to, you know, it's like Jeremy Lent, you know, he, you know, and Terry Patton and others who, who, who genuinely still believe that we can transform the systems if enough of us start thinking ecologically and make the right choices. And, you know, it's been really interesting because I've been interviewing uh, in, or having conversations in this series with some of the top people in the regeneration world. And many of them 10 years ago or even five years ago thought that we could really transform the culture, the system, the species. And most of them now know that the best that we can do is plant seeds. And if, by the grace of the universe, by the grace of life, there are a remnant populations of humanity that survived the collapse uh, of industrialism, the, the extinction of Homo Colossus in Catton's words, then, uh, you know, then their work of regeneration and permaculture and all the kind of good ecologically wise stuff has a chance of moving into the future. It's the only thing that is sustainable, but they no longer believe, most of them no longer believe that we can genuinely transform the systems. Yeah, I, I mean, how uh, how anyone can. I do want to make it clear for the record, just in case there's any confusion. I am a fan of human extinction. I you, you, am, are a, you are a fan of what? Of human extinction. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so it is, I, I mean, uh, I want to make clear no. to anybody, uh, I want to make this planet a human exclusion zone. You know, the two things that I think that we can do positively that have some benefit 
for the larger body of life, even if we go extinct in the near term. One of them is planting trees, moving shrubs, trees, anything, any, any plant that can't move like animals can, that will go extinct this century unless humans assist them in migrating. So my wife is one of the leading point people in North America in the field of assisted migration, assisting native trees in migrating poleward. If there's some way of ensuring that the least number of nuclear accidents, nuclear yeah, meltdowns yeah. happen, uh, that would be a good thing for the body of life. If we can ensure, I mean, there's going to be some, no question. But if the least number of nuclear meltdowns occur before our species winks out or before just yeah. civilization collapses and there's just few pockets of humanity, um, that would be a good thing. Put that one on our on our bucket list on the <laughs> on the way out. But but yeah, I you know where I, I don't know how many people now. And I guess I've I've probably interviewed maybe five people. You know, less unite with the voluntary human extinction movement. Nina Pele, she was a she was a hoot talking to her. Who was this? Uh, Nina Pele. Uh, if you haven't heard my oh, I haven't heard of her. her, yeah, uh, look her up. She's one of the few people who just uh, understands there. There, as long as one human is left on this planet, well, of course, as long as two humans, if one's male and one's female, then there's going to be oh, seven billion of us, uh, you know, in a, in a few years, as long as we leave Adam and Eve. But as long as there's one human uh on this planet and, and and i absolutely love people uh some of my best friends are people uh but humans we, it, it, it's just time for us to go it, it's time for us to go we had a good run you know we did Two hundred thousand years we made it about what about 10 percent as long as most other species uh ju judging by the normal life of a species we were a complete failure uh we we, we deserve to go extinct we are if, if you're I, I i don't know i guess i finally ran all raw paul off my channel i don't know i guess the coronavirus stuff even all raw paul has given up on me uh, but he was, uh, you know, he's always talking about, uh, he has seven adjectives to describe, uh, why humans need to, uh, why humans need to go extinct. And I'm, and, and, and I'm with him. I want to take issue with one thing, which is that the carrying capacity of the planet without fossil fuels would never support 7 billion. So if two people oh, survive yeah. and they pr reproduce, they will never have more than a half a billion people ever again, no matter yeah. what, simply because the carrying capacity of the planet without fossil fuels won't. Yeah, survive. can't do it. Yeah. And I'm curious, who have been the significant, the mo I mean, you've mentioned a few already, but any, anybody else you want to mention that has been a significant influence in your worldview, either somebody you've interviewed, somebody you've studied or read, but who have been the most important um, influences. Uh, oh, good. I mean, the, you know, I've, I've mentioned some of them. Uh, obviously, Terrence McKenna yep. is, uh, and and he, and I understand that Terrence is. I don't, I don't think he would uh, describe himself as a doomer, but uh, he, he, it doesn't. A person doesn't have to be a doomer 
to uh, to be an influence on uh, on this worldview. As I say, I still give a nod to Carlos Castaneda for what that's yes, worth. But more down here, you, you know, once you get down here, uh, well, obviously the late great Michael Rupert, who has yeah. on Monday will be Sunday. Monday will be the sixth anniversary. Uh, yeah. Michael Rupert. Now I was, I could not get through crossing the Rubicon. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I made it about 25. I don't I do not necessarily recommend crossing the, don't, don't get into Michael Rupert based on, uh, based on, uh, crossing the Rubicon. Watch, uh, well, it's just called collapse. Collapse, it's, exactly. It's collapse. About him. Uh, I first heard of him on a show called Prophets of Doom, which you can probably still find. It was him and Kunstler and two others. Mm -hmm. uh, Prophets of Doom, he, that's a good introduction to him. And then just a movie called Collapse, yep. which is a 90 minute interview with uh, yeah. Michael Rupert. And then uh, at the very end of his life, that uh, Vice documentary called Apocalypse, Comma Man. Yeah. So you definitely, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the, the, the Collapse. I've, I've seen Collapse. I, I don't think I've seen the other one, though. Oh, yeah. You need, you need to watch that. Uh, obviously, Derek Jensen. Uh, I think Derek Jensen's finest moment was Endgame. Yeah. I would put Overshoot and, you know, trying to pick what I call the best Bible of the apocalypse. Uh, it's a toss-up between Overshoot and Endgame. Yeah, oh, end games two volumes or isn't even three volumes. Like, anyway, yeah, it, I think it's just two volume, but yeah, it's it. You know, they're both doorstoppers. Uh, whereas, Catton's book at least can be read in you know ten or eleven hours. <laughs> yeah, if you uh, it, but but if you do need to read, if you want crash course, yeah, uh, overshoot by William Catton and Endgame by Derek Jensen. Yes, yes. Uh, and you can take your reading list from there. I mean, yes, good exactly. Lord, uh, I could go on and on, but those those are the two. And then, of course, fiction. You need to read Don Quixote by Cervantes. Uh, and he wrote that book in fifteen hundred. Beautiful. I mean, that man. This is. 250 years before they ever thought uh, of fossil fuels, when the population of this planet was what, in the year 1500? Less than a billion? Miguel Cervantes uh, looked right in to uh, where humans were going uh, a, a, as a civilization, as a planet. He spelled it out in 1500, guys. We need to uh, turn this freight train around in 1500. And uh, it's the, if you want to see the blueprint uh, of a doomer, it was Miguel Cervantes. Wow, that's great. Because I haven't read it, so I will read it as a result of this conversation. Oh, you have not read you? No, I know. I can't Michael Powell has not read Don Quixote. I know. You, I know. I, I, if I can reach through here and slap you, brother. Thank you. I, I received the slap. <laughs> read, uh, do it. Anyone listening to this, pause there's like 25 translations. Read Edith Grossman. Edith Grossman, okay. Edith Grossman translation. I think it was in the around anywhere. 
early 21st century. It's, it's much more accessible to a, uh, a, a modern, uh, a, a modern audience, but, uh, it's one of, certainly one of the great Bibles in, in, of the apocalypse. And it's one of the, I mean, you will laugh so hard as one, I mean, you're literally gasping for breath. Uh, but of course, as, as Don Quixote, you know, he is the world's greatest fool. He was, he was going around doing, you know, the whole thing of tilting at windmills. Uh, I call it tilting at wind turbines. Uh, but what Cervantes was, who clearly defended uh, Don Quixote's worldview, uh, was that 99% of the people that he encountered thought he was an absolute clueless moron, a, a lunatic, a whack job, a laughing stock. Uh, he was just, he was just viewed by society as a total buffoon for, you know, for saying people, uh, you know, look around you, what is going wrong? And, and people did not want to hear it in the year 1500. They don't want to hear it 500 years later. Exactly. Nothing wow. has changed. In beginning to wind this conversation down, anything that you'd like to share on in terms of, you know, what Paul Chaferka calls finding the gift on the other side of the stages of grief, on the other side of acceptance, many of us in this post-doom world um, uh, have, have found something to be grateful for or something to, that, that's opened up for us on the other side. And I'm just curious, has there been anything... Uh, that has opened up for you in a positive way on the other side of grief and all the rest of that. Well, of course we have a uh, Don Quixote sidekick, Santi. No, you know who Sancho Panza is, Don Quixote sidekick. Oh, so, uh, okay. Sancho Panza has opened up for me. Now, and seriously, if you are down here and especially if you're getting depressed, and if you're living alone, if you don't have, like you have found, a life partner uh, who will actually put up with you talking about this, uh, if, if, if you're living alone and depressed and, and you don't have a dog, I, I, I just don't get it. Uh, I, I mean, this, this little dog is probably one of the reasons I'm still alive. Yes, I get it. Uh, you have to have, you can't do this alone. Yes. You can't do it alone. If, if I was sitting here right now, I, I mean, literally socially isolated, uh, you know, where I can't even get together with my friends. If I didn't have this little dog yes. uh, the past few weeks, I would be, I would not be sitting in this chair talking to you. I would be curled up in a fetal position in yeah. the bottom of my closet. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is, uh, recommendation number one and uh but it's going to be tougher i mean we're we're in a new it, it, it's our you know our, our freedom to assemble with our friends our freedom to travel freely uh you know the the things that i cherish uh most in my life are they're certainly gone for the next few weeks or months and uh I, i'm not even going to open up the whole uh the whole 
story of our, our, our civil rights and the Orwellian police state and all that. That's a whole nother uh, yeah. uh, conversation for another time. But it's, uh, it's crazy times on the planet and it's going to be harder to get out there and enjoy it while you still can. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your, your usually ending along those lines. But I don't I need a new ending, bro. Yeah, exactly. I need a new ending. Right, yeah. right. Uh, uh, so you notice that uh, I don't say it anymore uh, because it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I, I've got to come up with a new ending. Right. right. And uh, maybe I could start right now, but I, 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 I can't. We're, it's it's going to suck. It's, yeah. uh, uh, as, as Gal Zawacki said uh, about it, uh, she doesn't know. Uh, what global the collapse of global industrial civilization is going to look like but she doesn't want to see it and neither do you yes. you don't want to be a part of this it, yes. it's going to be ugly it's going to be uglier than we ever thought uh and it's probably going to get her sooner than we than we ever thought i used to joke around that people your age, my age, we're about, I guess we're, I'm 60. I don't know. I hope yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm 60. Uh, uh, let's see, wait a second. Am I 61? I think I'm 61. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. So anyway, well, so we're pretty much the exact same age. Yeah. Uh, I used to think up, up until one month ago, literally until one month ago, I could say with a, a fairly fair degree of, uh, of confidence and, and arrogance that I would think that if you and I had had this conversation a month ago. I would have said right now that I think you and I, Mike, are going to get out of this with the screen door barely tapping us on our guilty asses. I can't say that anymore. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can't say it anymore. I don't have any idea what you and I are going to see in the next six months, but compared to what the people in sub-Saharan Africa in yeah. India, uh, you know, or what compared to what they're going to see, brother? Yeah, you know? no, exactly, exactly. I mean, this is uh, one of the things that I was grateful for the smackdown that I got from Roman um, Campolo, <laughs> uh, you know, 20, 22-year-old young man, um, was, was that I had been flippantly or easily saying that, you know, that we understand from previous collapsing civilizations and contracting empires and things like that, you know, that 80% of the best of humanity shows up and yeah, 20% of the worst of humanity, but you know, 80% of the best and, and that, you know, compassion and generosity people come forth. And that is true in some ways, but, but I, I have not taken a clear, straight eyed, sober look at the ugliness and the difficulty and the pain and the trauma and the, you know, all the rest of that. And, um, and, uh, and uh, I now, I now need to do that. Well, more guns and ammunition were sold in this country in March of 2020 than any month in history since 1776. Oh my God. Do, do something with that statistic. Wow. That's and, I, uh, what that. do you think that means for six months from now? Yeah. Uh, that's all you need to know about uh, are people going to choose fear or love? Uh, and it wasn't just Texas either. Yeah. I mean, New York was the same, you know, I guess until he shut down gun sales. No, that one statistic 
is 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 all I need to hear. Yeah. Uh, when the, the the real pandemic gets here, uh, it's 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 going to be nasty, gnarly, ugly. We we've never ex- you and I have never known what a hungry person. We you you have never encountered a truly hungry person that that has a family to feed and it's going to be ugly and I don't want to be part of it but I I I think I already am and so are you and uh, I hope we get a chance to uh, come back in a year and uh, and look back over this a year from now. I think that it's very possible that within the next year, we will starve to death, that we will, uh, you know, if the, if the Arctic wigs out in a really severe way in terms of a blue ocean event, you know, we could boil like lobsters. I mean, there's, you know, Connie and I sort of, it's, so many ways. It, it, it's this humor, you know, when we're talking to people and they are talking about 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road, I whisper over to Connie, I say, yeah, if we all haven't boiled like lobsters or starved to death by then. And it's just a little dark humor that, you know, keeps a chuckle for us. But, but this year, we actually believe that it's possible. We, you know, we've got a few months worth of stuff. But if the supply chains really break down yeah. and, and the weather is really severely fucked up because of the jet stream and, and all, and, you know, we've got three or more of the major grain-producing regions of the world fail, a multi-breadbasket failure, oh. we, we could see two, three, four, five billion people die in the next yeah. 12 to 18 months. Yeah, we could. I, well, the last, what I was, when I was coming back uh, right before this interview, the last, what they were talking about on NPR, with a straight face. A- apparently, there was no trace of irony between the the guy, the, the interviewer, I can't remember which one it was, and the guy who was interviewing. What they're talking is this new project that this group has started where they want you to send in your story of how you're responding to the coronavirus so future historians centuries from now they're putting together they like this time capsule so future historians centuries plural from now can actually find this little time capsule from 2020 how we survived the biggest threat to you know to humanity in the history of humanity and i'm thinking oh my god am i here all alone uh, and, and, and you should have heard this this inane conversation between these two grown men talking about the future historians uh, talking about the biggest event in human history uh, in the year in, in the year 2020. And I'm thinking, brother, uh, anything you'd like to say in uh, bringing this uh, to completion? No, I think that we've covered it pretty well. As I say, since I can no longer say get out there and enjoy it while you still can, because I, I, I'm not sure you still can. As I say, I, I will try to come up with a new closer, but I, I, I haven't come up with one for my own show, so I, I can't come up with one now. But uh, all I can tell you is uh, you and, our, and a few of us out there, keep up the good fight, brother. Yeah. We for more information about this project, go to postdoom.com.